I don't know if you all saw, because I don't really know or have a way of knowing who all sees the Facebook page, but Michelle Hutton posted that both of her parents were taken to the hospital in grave condition. So <clears throat> Dale and Sharon were Dale and Sharon were members here when when I got here in 1984. So I'm assuming that they are all down in southern Missouri sorting through whatever is going on there. So pray for them. Uh, Genesis 9, let's go ahead. We'll uh, go ahead and get started <clears throat> then this morning. Let's pray. Father, may we be always thankful for your word that it is our light in this very dark world and May we appreciate the light that it shines upon our world and its situation and you and your kindness. And so I pray for your help and enlightenment this morning. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Let's turn our attention to verse number 18. And I just want to read down through the end of the chapter. And then we'll come back to it. this, This particular section, Genesis 9 18 through 29, really brings us to the end of the section about Noah. And uh, So, the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon both their shoulders, went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine, and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years. And he died. So again, this is the concluding passage, really, if you will, the concluding episode of Noah's life. Um, A man who is held out to us in the New Testament as a paragon of righteous faith ends his life with this rather unseemly uh, account. And so, as always... Right when we come to a passage like this, a story like this, our, our our questions tend to be along the lines of, you know, what happened and who did what to who. And we will talk about that. We will talk about the sin. But we want to be mindful always, folks, that God tells us these things for a purpose. And the purpose is not just, um, not simply so that we can see the depths of human depravity or the heights of human goodness but it is in some way significant because it is advancing uh, the line of the story that is being developed uh, in the book of Genesis. So, so again, we'll just kind of, let's just kind of walk through it and we'll talk about, first of all, 
the sin. And as I mentioned last week, right, we have, uh, we have Genesis 6 and the sons of God and the daughters of men and that perplexing story. And, and then we have the flood, which is catastrophic, but not really perplexing unless you just flat out refuse to believe it. And then we come to this perplexing story, and there's a lot of perplexity about exactly what happened. Okay? So verses, chapter 9, verses 18 and 19, just remind us about the sons of Noah and their place after the flood. Right? So that, so that what we have, one of the things that is going on is the continuity of sinful humanity. We have Adam, and we have all the sin under Adam, and we have the destruction of the world with the flood, and we have Noah, and then we will see all of the sinful sinfulness in the world, and we will see God's reaction to that. But in all of this, God has kept mankind alive, and he has done it now through Noah and his three sons. <clears throat> um, one of the things that we don't know, and I probably am remiss even to just introduce it at this point in time to fuel our imaginations but I don't we don't know and we don't have any way of knowing if these were the only three children that Noah had um, I think it is probably something if to whatever extent we should we think about it I think that we should recognize that Noah probably lost friends and relatives in the flood that it's just kind of hard to conceive that there was Noah and his immediate family and everybody else in the world was a stranger and unrelated to him. Um, but <clears throat> so, so there's a sense in which, and it's not a part of the story and needs not be a part of the story, but we don't really have any way of knowing how traumatic um, living through the flood and surviving the flood may have been on Noah. When the flood ends, however, here is... The, the next group of people who will populate the earth, his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Um, <clears throat> and we do generally speaking, um, we do generally speaking correlate, um, even to this day, the, the basic, I, I'm not even sure how, to, how, how we would describe it. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a, an expert in these kind of matters. But, but when, you, when you look, for instance, right, we have Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem gives us the Semitic people. And that's what, those will be his descendants. When we trace the lineage of Ham in the world, they tend to be the darker-skinned population centers of the world. And then Japheth tends to be probably people along our lines in the world. These three men scattered across the earth, we are told. <clears throat> okay, Verse number 19, these are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. The word overspread has reference to being scattered, like if you threw a glass on the ground and the pieces went everywhere. And there is, even in verse number 18, I would suggest to you, a sinister hint of things to come. Right? We have three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And we have this note, Ham is the father of Canaan. 
So that whatever Canaan is, I think would be the way to understand this, that whatever Canaan is, whatever Canaan becomes, right? Ham is the father of it. It didn't just come from Canaan, it came from Ham. And one of the other questions, by the way, and I, I think I may have mentioned this, and this is just something for us to, to contemplate, it is biblically true that Ham, Shem, and Japheth are the three sons of Noah that survived the flood. Um, but I don't know that the Bible would make a strong case, and I think actually in the maybe in some ways, like with reference to Ham, there are some questions as to whether or not these three men were genuine believers, which maybe just seem crazy in and of itself. But, but right? I mean, the, the end result of these three men, folks, is a world that is equally sinful. The end result of Noah is a world that is filled with sin. And the end result of Sham, Ham, and Japheth is a world that is filled with sin. Not with saints. Not with saints, but with sinners. All right, so anyway, move on from there. Verse number 20 informs us about the activity of Noah. And as you're looking at your King James Bible, I just want to point out that you have not only a translation, but an interpretation in the statement, Noah began to be an husbandman. The, the, if we were just reading it literally, Noah was the man of the earth, is what it says. And a lot of people think, and I think probably rightly, that, that the point that is being made is that Noah was the dominant leading male upon the earth, right? We have Noah and his three sons, and there's going to be life that is lived after that. And we're going to find out how old Noah is, and there are going to be sons and daughters born to these people, and yet the most premier man on the earth is Noah. That's really the implication, I think, of verse number 18. Uh, Not just simply that he started to be the world's first vintner, but that Noah is occupying this spot as the leading man in the earth. And as the leading man in the earth, he planted a vineyard. And there's just, I'm not even going to get into this, folks, but, but there's a lot, a lot of discussion in academic worlds about what knowledge of growing grapes and wine existed prior to Noah and what they knew and what they carried over. And that's really incidental, right? Noah, as the leading man of the planet, planted a vineyard. And as one commentator pointed out, right, we're in the very, even very early in the human story, we're about to see the perils of technology intersecting with human depravity. What can a sinful human being do with knowledge about how the world works? And that brings us then to verse number 21, which tells us about the sin of Noah. And we want to note that Noah has committed here a sin. Noah drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered in his tent and within his tent. And, and we'll come back to that um, <clears throat> to, to get a little, try and understand it a little bit better. But let me just point this out to you. Grammatically, the three verbs are all saying exactly the same idea, right? Which, which is this. So let me just give it to you this way. Noah himself drank of the wine. So <clears throat> wasn't, it wasn't accidental drinking, and it wasn't somebody else forcing him to drink. 
Noah himself took the initiative and drank of the wine. That's the verb construction. And Noah was drunken. Noah himself got drunk. Noah deliberately, willfully, consciously drank of the wine, and Noah deliberately, consciously drank enough of the wine to become intoxicated. And it's the same verb construction in the last phrase of the sentence. And he was uncovered within his tent. So that what we have, folks, right, very delicately but very pointedly, is that Noah took the initiative to drink. Noah deliberately drank enough to get drunk. And Noah exposed himself in the tent. In other words, the, the, the story is not being told that in his drunkenness and in his staggering around or stumbling around or even in his crawling into bed that he inadvertently exposed himself. But the verb construction is very clear that just as he took the initiative to drink, he took the initiative to disrobe. And so that's where that part of the story stands. Then in verse number 22, right? And remember, this is the preeminent man on the planet. And Ham, the father of Canaan. The father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And once again, right, we, have, we have a deliberate <clears throat> expression here. In other words, just as <clears throat> right, Noah is not lying in the privacy of his tent with his blanket off, and Ham walks by and takes a glimpse. The verb implies more than a casual observation, and of course the debate becomes how much more. Just exactly what did happen. So Ham, who is the father of Canaan, saw and told. And so again, folks, in in verses 21 and 22, we have a lot of deliberate kind of verbs. Verbs that are explaining to us intent. Verse number 23 then tells us about the conduct of Shem and Japheth, the two brothers. Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon both their shoulders, went went backward, covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. The contrast in the story, and we will return to this, folks. The the contrast in the story is the difference between seeing and not seeing. That's the way the story is being told. The observation is, and the not observing. That's the storyline. Now again, we'll, we'll talk about the way we tend to tell it, but, but let us understand that, that the text is telling us its rendition of the storyline. And its rendition of the storyline is this. Ham deliberately looked. Shem and Japheth deliberately didn't look. That's the division 
That is the distinction. Verses 24 through 27 then tell us about the outcome or what happens after all of this. And it does so without giving us some of the most, the information that would make us the most curious, which is how did he find out what happened? And we're not told. Verse number 24, Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan. Ham is the father of Canaan. Two times we've had that in the story. Ham is the father of Canaan. Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. So Noah sobers up, in some way becomes aware of what has happened, and pronounces a curse. And it is really important that we want to note this, folks. That the curse is upon one and only one of Ham's sons, Canaan. Now, however we might feel about the fact that Canaan is being singled out, and he's already been singled out by the narrator, Ham is the father of Canaan. Ham is the father of Canaan. Canaan is on the receiving end of the curse. And then Noah pronounces a blessing upon both Shem and Japheth. And again, we want to remember, folks, particularly in the book of Genesis, that this idea of blessing and cursing is more than simply rendering an opinion. In other words, right, if, if, you, were, if you were part of this, and I mean, if, if you were Noah, or you were one of Noah's sons, But specifically, if you were Noah and you said, okay, here's the disposition. We're talking about more than simply how you feel about what happened. This idea has the ability, is undergirded by the person making the blessing and the cursing, having the authority, in some sense, having the confidence that God is going to rise up and respond to that blessing and to that cursing. And so Shem and Japheth are blessed, and part of the blessing is that Canaan will be their servant. And that brings us to verses 28 and 29, which bring us to right the remainder of Noah's life. I mean, really, folks, I mean, here is a man who lived 950 years. And you know two things about him. I mean, apart from the fact that he had a family, you know two things about him. You know that he built an ark and you know that he got drunk. All the other things that he did in the course of that 950 years are just complete mysteries to us. But, but, but the Bible is not a book of biographies about the people involved. And so... This is what we have. Right? So verse number 28, Noah lived after the flood 350 years. 
And all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he, like everybody else that we've ever known, died. And then in chapter 10, verse number 1, right, we move again into another major section of the book. There's our, there's our marker. These are the generations of the sons of Noah. Noah's dead, and now we're going to tell the story of what became of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And as we'll see, what became of Shem, Ham, and Japheth is going to fall in some measure to back to what happened in verses 18 through 29 of chapter 9. So there's just how the storyline unfolds. So, so let's go back now, because we always want to know this. What was Ham's sin? What was Ham's sin? And let me give to you just the, the three major views that are set forth. Generally speaking, it is argued one of three things that Ham did. All right? So here they are. In no particular order. You know, particular because I don't really think that it has anything to do with any of them. But, all right, <clears throat> number one, Ham's sin, Ham's sin was incest with Noah's wife. In other words, Ham's sin was incest with his mom. And you go, where do you get that? And I go, I don't know, but I'm just telling you what the. I mean, this. I'm just going to kind of walk through how some people explain it. One of the issues, folks, right? One of the issues that we have as Bible readers is that when we come to the very first use in Genesis chapter 9, okay? And he saw the nakedness of his father, right? We immediately move into the book of Leviticus, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm just saying that, right, in the time it takes us to read the sentence, we're in the book of Leviticus, finding in it some immoral sexual innuendo. That it's a euphemism for some illicit sexual activity. <clears throat> and the way it's argued is that, and you know, it gets kind of convoluted, and again, I'm not trying to work all through it, and I'm certainly not trying to defend it, is that what Shem and Japheth did was actually lay a blanket upon their parents' shoulders. That, that Ham went in there in the place of Noah, who was trying to have relations with his wife and had relations with his mother. So there's one view that is argued. The second, another view that is argued, and again, I'm just, if you know, if you get go to the literature and you go to the, to the internet and you ask what is Ham's sin and you look at all, some people argue that it is the sin of voyeurism. And again, folks, the verbs are very specific there. Right? It's, 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 not, it's not an accidental glimpse and it's not him going to his brothers and go, guys, you're just not going to believe this. It's not like that. But neither is it accidental on Noah's part. To the extent that Noah was aware of what he was doing, being drunk, Noah is responsible for his actions. Ham is clearly responsible for his actions. So maybe the sin is the sin of 
gratification through voyeurism. And probably the one that you're the most familiar with is that Ham committed a homosexual act against his father. And the primary argument for that are twofold. Number one, we have, again, the construction that we will find duplicated in the book of Leviticus when it comes to certain immoral acts, that he saw the nakedness of his father. And secondly, verse number 24, when Noah wakes up and knows what his younger son had done. But that expression does really not necessarily, all by itself, imply that something physical was done. We, we would tend to read it that way. But, but the Bible writer did not necessarily mean it that way. In Genesis 12, 18, the same expression is used to describe a lie. You told a lie, and this is what you have done to me. In telling me a lie, this is what you have done to me. And in Judges chapter 8 and verse number 1, the same expression is used simply in the act of ignoring. That's when Gideon was off doing his thing and failed to consult with certain people and they were very offended at what Gideon had done to them. And all that Gideon had done to them was not consult them. So again, we, just, we, just, we really need to be very careful here, folks, that when we come to these kind of Bible stories, we don't just go immediately to the broader context of Scripture, and even more immediately to all the things that other people have said about the text of Scripture and conclude that that is what is being said. Okay? And as you can imagine, all of those accounts have their detractors and all of those accounts have their supporters. Yeah, Dave? Well, I well. So the, the 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 statement is that Noah is the sinner, and Ham is just letting everybody know. And clearly, Noah is the sinner. And again, right? We're going to have to, right? If, if to, to play devil's advocate for a minute, how do you know that Noah's the sinner? Isn't that what your message said? Well, wait a minute. No, no, wait a minute. I'm right. Okay, but how do you know that Noah's a sinner? I mean, here's the point that I'm getting at, folks. In, in Genesis chapter 9, what information do you have that drunkenness is a sin? Who said it was a sin to be drunk in Genesis 9? I'm not defending drunkenness. I'm just saying that, right, I know that drunkenness is a sin because I go to other places in the Bible in which God, and, and God never does anything other than condemn drunkenness, right? So I, I doubt very highly that God looks favorably upon Noah's drunkenness, Okay. So I agree with you. Noah is absolutely the transgressor in this. But Noah is also the premier man on the earth. And he wields that kind of authority, not in his own power, but by virtue of where God has placed him. And I think that the text implies, or states very clearly, that Ham is equally sinful, right? Noah had one sin. Ham had another sin. Now, we could perhaps choke a little bit on the fact that there doesn't appear to be any repercussion to Noah. Right? Noah experiences nothing, no, no condemnation, no word of condemnation, no judgment 
for his drunkenness, Ham experiences plainly stated consequences. Right? Where are the consequences? What happens to Noah? There are no consequences stated. There are no consequences to Ham. The consequences all come to Canaan. I don't think so. Could it have been Canaan that was the actor? I don't think so, and I'm just going to base that on the fact that Canaan has already been labeled two times in the story as the product of Ham. Right? So he's being, he's being identified with his father, but he's being kept separate in his identity from his father. Ham is the father of Canaan. Ham is the father of Canaan. So I don't think that the story really means this is what Canaan had done. Part of the problem, Dave, is it is very hard to come up with a very with a clear picture that we don't fight about about exactly what Ham did. Okay? But one of the questions that we would ask of this is why did Ham say anything? Why didn't Ham just get a blanket and cover dad and never tell anybody? Right, which which certainly falls within the realm of possibility, right? Most people who are, you know, writing about the the paragraph would understand Ham to be, at the very least, gloating about what he saw. Right, that 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 he is that he is being disrespectful, not only in staring at his father, but disrespectful. In, in the way he reported it. But again, it's, it becomes kind of challenging to go, see, it's right there in the text, right? Because we're all going to the text and we're all going, what happened? Right? And, and that's one of the reasons that, that I would say, I personally don't think that we really need to expand on the biblical report. I don't think we need to go looking for things <clears throat> that are not necessarily stated or implied in the report. In other words, folks, right, let's, right, I mean, we've, I've already talked to you about the fact that when we come to these kind of passages, we bring in other Bible knowledge, which we're this fine. And when we come to these passages, we also bring in all the things that we've ever heard about the story, and we've already kind of filtered through them. But one of the things that I think we rarely bring to the story is just how offensive... God would find, if all that happened was dad exposed himself and the son stared, that that is offensive enough to make God very angry. And, and you know, we are so comfortable with various stages of undress in our culture. Even on the, I mean, right, even people who would not dress that way people who would go to the ends of the earth to dress extremely modestly, nevertheless live in a world in where immodesty is part and parcel of daily life. I mean, in the United States of America, folks, we all understand that summer temperatures bring the absence of clothing everywhere we go. And we just very often, for the most part, just kind of filter it out. And, right, if I can just 
kind of jump up on my pastoral hobby horse. When I come to the church, like I do about every spring, and talk about modest clothing, people just kind of blow it off as if, you know, well, the old legalist Largent has resurrected himself one more time, almost as if it is not possible that God could be greatly offended at the, the prevalence of human skin. But Noah doesn't live in that world. And Noah and Ham live in a world in which this was a tremendous, egregious offense. You didn't do that. And to make light of it to your brothers, having witnessed it at the hands of your father, this degrading moment was something that you just didn't do. But again, folks, we, could, um, we can and we do. We, we debate it and we discuss it because there's just so many pieces of information we don't have. But what we do have is this, right? Noah exposed himself, and, and that's just the way that I would put it. He was in his tent, so he wasn't running around in the streets, and Ham was staring. And, and he looked beyond the amount of time it took him to click what was happening. And it appears that in telling his brother he compounded the sin. But again, I realized that we can debate it. I'm just trying to make the argument that there is enough information in the verses given that Noah's reaction, no matter how much we might think there's this double standard that Noah suffered no consequences and Canaan suffered many, the, the, the remainder of the Bible's story nevertheless bears testimony to the fact that Noah's proclamation stands. And that's really where the story is going, folks. To us, the major emphasis of the story is what happened between Noah and Ham. And we we tend to go looking to figure out what happened to Noah and Ham. But to the text itself, to the story at text, the emphasis of the story is the continuity of one of the major themes of the book of Genesis. And that is the idea of cursing and blessing. Cursing and blessing are major ideas in the book of Genesis. We're not very far away from getting into Abraham. And the covenant with Abraham is, I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. And in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Blessing and cursing is a dominant theme in the book of Genesis, and it has its place here. Whoever is right or wrong, right when, when they answer to the Lord and stand before the Lord, and it's, it's just inconceivable that God is not going to say something to Noah about his drunkenness. Noah's proclamation as the man of the earth stands. So, all right, so, so, so then in, in the time that we have left, what is the significance of the passage? In other words, folks, what if we had more information, but, we weren't, but all we were trying to do was figure out what exactly happened? Would we be any better off? 
right? So, 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 and some of this I've already alluded to, but right. But let's just let's just kind of talk through this. All right. First of all, this story is the bridge that God gives us. Again, right? Here's a man who lives 950 years. What do we know about him? We know that God saved him. He found grace. And because of God's grace, he lived righteously. And we know that he had three sons. And the only story that we have, folks, to describe the relationship of Noah and his three sons is this one. Did they get along? Were they close? Did they spend Christmas together? Did they like each other? Which son was the favorite son? We don't, none of that stuff. All the kind of human information, the only story that we have about their relationship at all is this one, this dark story. It functions then as a bridge. Here's Noah. Here's a story about Noah's interaction with his three sons. And we're going to move right away from that. Noah's dead. Noah's buried. Now we're going to talk about the sons. And the consequences of the story are this. Verses 24 through 27. Noah awoke from his wine, knew what his younger son had done unto him, and he said, Cursed be Canaan. Cursed be Canaan. Now, you're in Genesis chapter 9 there. Turn, if you would, back to Genesis chapter 5. And verse number 28. And Lamech lived in 180 and two years and begat a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, this same, this same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. So Noah enters the world in some measure anticipated to be a a sense of relief from the curse. And here he is making a proclamation about the curse. Cursed be Canaan. And what we have here, folks, right? And I just want to talk about that because, right? Unfortunately, in past history, Right, whether it's Cain and Abel and the mark on Cain, or whether it's Canaan, we go looking to find ethnic markers in these kinds of accounts. But Cain here is not simply an individual, he is a group of people. And if you look at Genesis chapter 10 and verse number 6, The sons of Ham. Cush. Cush is not cursed like that. The curse didn't go to Cush. Mizraim. Now that's very easy, folks, because if you went to Egypt to this day, they are the Mizr, the M, what be M-I-S-R or M-I-Z-R, 
That is how they identify themselves. These are the Egyptians. They're not cursed like that. They don't bear that curse. The curse isn't upon him. But no curse on him. Canaan. Canaan. The curse is on Canaan. It's not an accident, folks, that Israel's perennial enemies are the Canaanites. And it's not accidental when we get into the story of of Abraham that we will be told of the land that Abraham is being given, that the Canaanite is there. The Canaanite is there. This group of people are singled out for the curse. This is how the story is developing. And as I said, there, there, is, right, there is enough biblical history to follow that we know, right, that we know that the Canaanites bore that curse and that in that curse, right, this goes right back to Genesis chapter 3, right, that there is hostility, hostility that can never be resolved between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. It's always going to be there. And <clears throat> there's, there's, no, there's no negotiation or compromise with that. To, to bring about peaceful existence, folks. It's just never going to happen. So there is the curse. And then to go back to Genesis chapter 9, right? There is blessed, and you'll notice here, right? Blessed be the God of Shem. Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Which the idea of blessing is eight times more prevalent in the book of Genesis than is the idea of cursing. Nine times cursing is pronounced, 73 times blessing is described. So Genesis is heavy on blessing, the blessing of God to humanity. So... Right, so, and I'm not saying that I've that I've nailed all the points, folks. But when we come to a story like this, right, even Genesis six, where we're having a conversation about the sons of God and the daughters of men, and then we come to this story, and we have Ham and Noah and the curse on Canaan. What we want always to remember is that God is telling us these things to advance the story of redemption, in some way. That's what their ultimate point is. One more piece in this gigantic puzzle of human redemption that God is going to accomplish through Christ. And so we have this very sharp line. There are those that are cursed and there are those that are blessed. That tends to be how God sees the world. Those under the curse, those under the promise of blessing. Okay, I'm going to stop there. I think I've used up my time this morning. Yep.